we had a conversation back in the fall and we were talking and, and some of you guys, if you've been around this house for a while, you know, you've heard him preach before. You know, there's a gift on his life. Uh, it, it had been a while since I'd had him preach and we were talking in the fall and I told him, I said, I believe the Holy Spirit's in a season where he's, uh, he's refining me. And one of the things he wants to teach me in this season is don't bring anyone else in to preach unless I tell you to bring them in to preach. And so I, I told him, I, was, I said, just be patient. I know when, when he tells me to bring you back to preach the word, it's going to be the right time. It's not, in fact, it's not even going to be the right time. It's going to be the perfect time. And I, I just felt this week, I woke up on Thursday morning and I just felt in my spirit, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, it's time. Stone needs to preach this last message in the Planted series. Because his life right now, yeah, yeah, you can, you can cheer. You can cheer. We're, we're not cheering the man. We're cheering what the Lord, what the Holy Spirit, what he's been doing in his life. I don't know how long you've been around this house, but you can see the fruit coming out of this young man's life in this season because he's chosen to stay planted. His life is a testimony of what happens if you'll stay planted in the hard seasons, when the storms come, when affliction just seems to keep popping up week after week. If you'll stay planted and patient and endure, then the fruit that is produced in those seasons, it's incredible, it's everlasting, it's eternal. And so I I just woke up and I felt the Holy Spirit dropping that on me. And he just said, there's nobody with a better testimony right now that needs to share my word with my people. Because his life is a testimony right now of what it means to stay planted. And so if you would, would you just, let's honor what God is doing in this young man's life. Would you just stand and honor Stone as he comes up here? We love you, man. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the work you're doing in his life. And we thank you for the word that you've given us. Your word is anointed. Your spirit flows through every page, every letter. And we just pray and believe right now that the word you have, that you're using him as your mouthpiece in this season, that it's a powerful word. I pray that we would be ready to receive it, that we'd be hungry to receive it, that it would change us, that it would transform us, that we would not leave this place the same as we walked in today. We love you and we praise you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, Alex, Pastor Alex asked me, was it, you said Thursday? Thursday. Uh, (laughs) Typically I have like a solid uh, like month or so to prep. But listen, I, so I feel something today. I think I think the Lord is breaking something off today. I think he's transforming this house today. I think he's doing a work that we haven't seen before, not just in this house, but in the church, the global church. And waking up this morning, I just felt a strong sense. Like, I'm not, I didn't wake up this morning to come and give a, a feel-good TED Talk, right? I didn't come to, uh, you know, give some feel-good message. I feel like when I woke up this morning, God said, you're not preparing just to 
say a few words and make people clap and get excited. You came here to prepare for a boxing match with the enemy. He said, you're, you're waking up this morning so that you can come and show Satan what the house of God is doing. And I just feel, I feel an urgency. I feel a fire. I feel like we just need to take a second to praise him. So let's stand up. Let's just give him 10 seconds of just praising the Lord. Shout. Yeah, come on. God is moving in this house. He is breaking things off. He is, oh, come on. He's bringing healing. He's bringing deliverance. Come on. God is not building a house that comes just to hang out on Sundays. He's not building a club. He's not building a corporation. He's building an army. And today I want to encourage us and teach us how we can step into what he has for us. So we're going to start in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 23 through 25. It says, when you come into the land, that being the promised land, this is God speaking to the Israelites about to enter the promised land. He says, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised, or other translations say unholy. So you're coming into the promised land. It's a good land. You have good trees, good seeds, but the fruit is unclean to you. It shall not be eaten. Verse 24, But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So I was reading, I was researching. I'm not much of a what do you call that, an arborist, someone who does stuff with trees? <laughs> I'm not much of an arborist, but uh, so I was looking up, I was like, why is this specifically just some rule God came up with, or, or what's the point of this? Why is the fruit unclean? So I looked up, this comes from Nelson Tree Specialist. Uh, this is a quote from some secular source just about growing fruit trees. It says, most fruit trees don't start producing edible fruit until they are around three to five years old. How old is Revival? Three years. Come on, third birthday coming up next month. The Lord wants to produce mature fruit in this house. He's, ooh, I'm feeling it. Come on. It says they need time to mature. We've had time to mature. Any fruit that is produced in this time should be harvested as soon as you see it so the tree can focus as much energy as possible into growing and maturing. The Lord is taking this house, he's he's taking his church into a period where he wants us to grow and mature. We're, We're planted, we've been planted, we've been around a few years now. God's saying it's time to stop just focusing on on being planted. You're planted now. It's time to start producing some mature fruit. We're going to jump to Numbers, chapter 22. Start verses 1 through 6. This is the story of Balak and Balaam. Some of you might recognize this story from the donkey that starts talking. We're not going to talk about that part today. But um, So what's happening in the context of this passage 
the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're going around the wilderness. And they start defeating all these surrounding nations. Right? They're wandering around waiting to enter the promised land. And there's these different nations that come against them. There's the Amorites. And they defeat the Amorites. And then there is Bashan and King Og. Israel defeats them. So then they come up to Moab. And this guy named Balak, he's the king of Moab. And he starts freaking out, right? Because Israel had already defeated two of these big other nations. And he's saying, all right, I need to figure out what to do so that Israel doesn't destroy my nation as well. So, Numbers 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of, son of Zipporah, saw all that the Israelites had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Verse 5, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are sitting next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So King Balak, he finds this guy named Balaam, who's known in the area for being able to uh, perform these really uh, effective curses and blessings on people. So he's, he finds Balaam, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire you to come and curse the people of Israel so that they don't defeat us. Then we see in chapter 23, just kind of going through what happens is Balaam, and Balak, they go up to these mountaintops and they start looking for places where they can build these altars and perform these pagan rituals so that Balaam can communicate with God and put this curse on the Israelites. So they go to a few different places and what happens each time is interesting. It says, uh, this is in Numbers 23. I don't know if we have this on the screen, but uh, Numbers 23, they find this mountaintop. Uh, Balak says, um, we're going to give these offerings. We're going to prepare for you to do this ritual. And then Numbers 23 verse 4 says, God met Balaam and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Verse 5, then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So God comes and just gives a word to Balaam. That's what we would consider prophecy when God gives somebody a word. But we see what happens. I'm not going to read through the entire chapter, but what happens is Balaam is incapable of cursing Israel because God's protection is over them. They are planted in the presence of the Lord. They are his chosen people, so the curse cannot touch them. He is literally unable to curse them and ends up blessing them instead. And he says, uh, verse 11, it says, Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So what happens is they go and try again. He says, Maybe it's the location. We're going to go to a different mountaintop, and we're going to try this again. It wasn't the mountaintop. So 
Uh, same thing happens, verse 15, Numbers 23, 15. It says, he said to Balak, uh, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. He put another word in his mouth. And then what happened, the same thing again. He was unable to curse Israel and he ended up blessing them instead. So at this point, Balak is unhappy. He's freaking out. He's like, these people are going to destroy me. Uh, then we'll jump to the end of Numbers 23, verse 27. It says, Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. So they're getting ready to do the same thing that they had just done two other times that didn't work, right? Chapter 24, starting verse 1. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So he said, I'm not going to do things the way I've been doing them. I'm going to change. I see God is responding positively to when I bless Israel, so I'm going to switch. I'm going to do something different that pleases God instead so that I can communicate with him more effectively. Verse 2, Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel and camped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. So that's different. The past two times, it said God came and gave him a word. But this last time, once he switches, once he doesn't do things the way that he wants to do them, once he understands and acknowledges how God wants him to, to do this thing, once he uh, submits to the Lord, then the Spirit of God came upon him. And in the same way, we can't keep doing things the way that we want to do it. We can't come to church and, and, and base everything we do off of our preferences. We can't keep living in sin because it's how we want to live. We have to lay down our lives. We have to surrender to the Lord and start doing things the way that he wants us to do them. And what happens? Instead of just seeing maybe small glimpses of gifts or seeing uh, these little things happening, the Spirit of God will fully come on you. So I just declare over this house today that the Spirit of God would fall fresh in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill everybody in this room, Lord. We, oh, oh, Lord, fill this place. The Spirit of God came upon him. Then look, look what happens next. He gives, uh, he gives a third prophecy, and then directly after that, Balak, of course, is all peeved about it. But then right after that, uh, before he even tries to do any other rituals or something, he jumps right into a fourth prophecy. Look at this. It says, uh, Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion, and destroy the remains of the city. So once he lays down his way of doing things, once he begins to show some form of obedience to the Lord, not only does the Spirit of God come upon him, but even more than that, he gets fresh revelation of Jesus. 
right? It's a picture of, of David, but beyond David, it shows what Jesus comes to do. He is a star and a scepter. He's going to destroy all of the enemies of God's people. So if we keep living the way that we want to live, if we keep going from place to place, if we keep uprooting, we're going to continue in, in a, a lukewarm Christianity. God has so much more for us than, than what we're living out when we choose to live based off of our preferences. God wants to build us up. God wants to start producing mature fruit in our lives. And the only way to do that is to lay down our preferences, to lay down the way that we want to do things, to get planted in the house, get planted in the presence of God, surrender to him. The spirit of God will fall fresh on us and we'll get revelation of Jesus. How many of us, how many of us go day to day and we get so upset? We're like, why is God not speaking to me? We say, why, why do I not have any revelation of Jesus? Why do I feel like God is so far from me? Maybe it's because of the way you're living. Maybe we're living in sin and we're constantly running away from God, right? And I know, that's, I know that's not a fun thing to hear, but listen, the only way we can draw near to the Lord, the only way we can start producing mature fruit is if we just choose to finally make that choice to surrender, Right? Salvation in a relationship with Jesus Christ does not come from just a one-time prayer. It comes from a daily choice of taking up your cross, dying to yourself, and following him. We'll keep reading. I think something we get really caught up with is the difference between the spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts, you can read about those in 1 Corinthians 12. We don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to pull it up so I don't forget any of them. The gifts of the Spirit are external things that we do. Things that we can do by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 8, uh, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So, the gifts of the Spirit are exactly that. They are gifts from God. They are external things that we can do. In contrast, look at Galatians chapter 5 and read about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So I think where we get caught up and where we get it wrong as Christians so often is we expect God to give us the fruit of the Spirit as a gift, and we want to try to work for the gifts of the Spirit. That's not how it works. You don't work for a gift. God gives gifts freely. How many passages are in the Bible, even in the Gospels of Jesus himself, 
saying the father likes to give gifts to his children. He wants to give freely. We don't have to strive for the gifts of the Spirit. Of course, it's something you have to develop. It's something you have to, once you receive it, uh, continue working on and developing. But then we expect God to just give us the fruit. Fruit is not a gift. Fruit is something that needs to be cultivated. It's something that needs to be grown. It's something that needs to be matured. We can't keep going through life mad at God because he's not just giving us fruit. And we tend to want, it goes back and forth, but we tend to want the gifts more because that's what makes us look good, right? Because it's outward things that we can do. And that's why you see so much uh, abuse of spiritual gifts because uh, there's all these things people just want to look good. They, they get caught up in their pride and say, look what I can do. I can speak in tongues. I can prophesy. I can heal people. I can perform miracles. But God gives those gifts to people as he sees fit. What did it say in 1 Corinthians 12? It says, uh, The same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So God's going to give you the gift that he wants you to have. But for the fruit of the Spirit, all Christians are supposed to have all fruit. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, we should see all of them start to manifest in our lives. And it's not a gift. It's something you have to work towards. Right? And God can do whatever he wants. He can develop a fruit of the Spirit within you um, easily and, and quickly, but we have to understand we can't keep being mad at God and, and frustrated with him and keep uh, just living this life of expectancy that God is just going to drop the fruit of the Spirit on us. He wants to develop mature fruit, which means we have to work, we have to lay our lives down and continue to follow his leading, follow where the Holy Spirit is guiding us so that that fruit can mature. Because what did it say back? Oh, I'm going to go back. Leviticus, that first passage, Leviticus 19, it said, if I can flip there, Leviticus 19, you shall count the fruit. So when you come into the land and you have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as unclean or uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. We're, we have this fruit or we have gifts that we think are fruit and we're mad because they're not getting accepted. They're not maturing. They're not growing. But God's saying you have to remain planted. You have to continue developing. If you uproot, that timer resets. And this isn't a literal three to five years. It's not when you give your life to Christ, there's a timer until you start to develop these fruits. It's about spiritual maturity. God wants to build us up in spiritual maturity so that our fruit isn't uh, in, in an unclean space. It's not something that can't be eaten. Because verse 24, in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. So listen, verse 24 says, before you even worry about other people, before you even worry about trying to make yourself look good or, or trying to show your fruits to those around you, first and foremost, you have to give it to the Lord. Right? Same with, we talk a lot here about giving. We have to give Every, not just financially, but we have to give everything that we have to God first. Because if we go straight, if we try and skip to year five before we live out what he has for us in year four, it's not going to work. Our fruit is still going to be immature. But once we take the steps that God has for us, when we give 
our fruit to him first, he will develop us. We'll have mature fruit for him first and for everybody else after. Go to Matthew 21. Verses 18 through 22. It's the story of the fig tree. Verse 18. So this is Jesus. He says, uh, well, it says, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And see, he being Jesus. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. There was no fruit. And said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now it's important to understand the context of this passage. Jesus comes into Jerusalem at the beginning of Matthew 21. And then from then on, he's talking about his authority. He is showing and proving his authority uh, and then he goes on to talk about preparing for the second coming. He says, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And then verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? I texted Alex a while ago, and I'm going to pull it up right now. And read to you what the Lord gave me. I was praying for the church. And God dropped a verse on me that I think um, perfectly fits with what we're talking about right now. If I can find the text. Maybe it's not there. All right, 1 John 2.19. Actually, I'll start in verse 18. It says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Listen, there's going to be people, I'll read this text. It says, I got drawn to 1 John 2.19 this morning and felt led to share. It instantly made me think of what we had been talking about at church with the wheat and tares. I also, multiple times this morning, have gotten the phrase elevate and accelerate. Just getting a strong sense that God is continuing to prune out the tares, and then he will rapidly elevate and accelerate the wheat and go on to continue planting more and more wheat. 
after that. It says, they would have continued with us, but they went out. Whether it's other people or things in your own life, God is going to prune. God is going to take things out of your life. He's going to take things out of the church. We'll look at verse 20. It says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So it doesn't matter what gets taken out of your life. The Lord knows what needs to get taken out of your life, but he also knows that you have an anointing. He's given you an anointing. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God's going to take things out of your life. He's going to take people out of your life. He's going to take habits and, and, and sin out of your life, and it's going to prune you, and it's going to hurt. There's going to be tears that you thought were wheat that are going to get lifted up and uprooted, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and you're not going to like it. But the Lord has anointed you from the Holy One, and wants to build you up to produce mature fruit within you. So back to Matthew 21. I skipped over. Back to Matthew 21. He sees the tree, and it has no fruit on it. And just like the tares that he uproots from your life, the disciples say, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? If you don't mature and start producing mature fruit for the Lord first, you will wither away. When Jesus returns, when he sees you, when he sees you as a fig tree, is there going to be fruit or will there just be leaves? I'm going to finish up with 1 Timothy 4.12. Band, you guys can come up. 1 Timothy 4.12. This is one of my favorite passages. I'm actually going to do 12 through 16. It says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, that passage has been a really important passage to me for a long time as a young pastor. But when the Lord brought it to me the other day, Thursday afternoon, uh, I read, let no one despise your youth. We're all at different levels of spiritual maturity. And when we're spiritually young, And by the way, that has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. It has everything to do with how much you've matured in your faith. But when you are young in your faith, it's so easy to get caught up in in what kind of fruit you want, in what kind of gifts you want. 
But what does it say? Be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Till I come, which by the way, that's Paul. The I is Paul. But what if we, we replaced Paul with Jesus? Till Jesus comes, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, and be an example to all believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Don't neglect the gifts that he has given you, which was given by prophecy and laying on of hands. Meditate on all of these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, not to what you want, not to what other people want. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress, that your maturing may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. And if you continue, what happens? In doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony has the power to save those who hear you. If you allow yourself to be matured, if you allow uh, the mature fruit to be produced by the Lord in your life. And as I was reading that passage, it just made me think about my own story, where I've been, uh, my faith journey. When I first started in ministry, I was, I think, 18 years old, and it was a rough start to ministry. There were difficult transitions. There were um, people that I did not, that didn't like that I was On staff as a teenager, I had people leave the ministry who said, I will not serve under somebody that young. Um, And it built up a lot of insecurity within me. It built up a lot of inadequacy within me. It built up um, just lots of negativity and lots of feelings like, is this what I'm supposed to do? And through the few years that I've been a pastor, at Revival, the enemy has tried so hard to get me to uproot. He's tried so hard to get me to quit in ministry. There's been a lot of things that I've worked through myself. There's been, um, there's been hurt. There's been addiction. There's been uh, just all sorts of really difficult things. Um, and praise God, in, I believe it was November of last year, Uh, I went and saw our deliverance team, and that made a massive impact on my life. But directly after my deliverance, I went through something. uh, I went through a really difficult breakup that was really hard for me. Uh, There was a lot of hurt on both ends. There were a lot of things that uh, both of us did that uh, were really difficult to work through. And uh, through that whole experience, I had essentially undone everything that I did um, during my deliverance session. I invited so much of the enemy back into my life because there was so much hurt, there was so much pain, there was so much um, doubt in my mind that I was meant to be here, that I was meant to do ministry, all of those things. But during our 21-day fast, I was not anticipating Uh, doing a complete water fast for the whole 21 days. But God told me, that's what you need to do. And I said, okay. Um, So through that, God matured me in a way that I never would have anticipated. 
And for the first time in my life, through this 21-day fast and through just being as planted as possible, forcing my roots down as far as they could go in this house and in the presence of God, I experienced for the first time what it was like to have mature fruit. And right now in my life, I can say as a testimony that I feel the joy of the Lord in a way that I never have before. I feel love and kindness and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And that's not because of anything that I did. It's because I am a child of God and He loves me and He chose to develop that fruit within me because I decided to stay planted in the house. And what He wants to tell this entire church today is that if you stay planted, He will develop that mature fruit within you and it will change your life in a way that is entirely unfathomable. It won't make any sense to anybody on the outside. When I was going through the things I was going through, People would tell me, Stone, it does not make sense that you are reacting the way that you're reacting. And I thought the same thing. I thought there's no way that I have the peace that I have in this situation right now. And it's all because the Lord came upon me just as he came upon Balaam. And let me tell you, there's going to be lots of times in your life when Satan comes and he tries to uproot you. There's going to be lots of times when Balak sees the things that you're doing in the kingdom. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of times when Balak sees the things that you're doing in the kingdom of God and coming against the kingdom of the enemy. And he's going to go find a Balaam to curse you. He's going to find a Balaam to come against you. But if you remain planted, if you remain a child of God, under his authority, if you remain planted in the house, no curse can come against you. You will only receive blessings. He's going to build you up. He's going to see the mature fruit come to fruition in your life. And that's what he wants to do in this house. That's what he wants to do in all of you as individuals. So if that's where you're at, there's going to be a time at the end of service where you can come and receive prayer, receive the laying on of hands. And I would encourage you in this time to surrender, stop doing things your own way and make the choice to start developing mature fruit in your life.